This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WFAN and WFAN-FM New York, a radio.com sports station. Fun Fest. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. It is me. Okay. Just had to stop and check for a second. At which point Matt Casey thinks, why is he stopping to check? Wouldn't he know that? Especially after all these years. Hey, sometimes I do have to stop and check. Well, good morning. Welcome to our program here on The Fan on Sunday mornings. We always have uh, interesting discussions and hopefully also bring you some guests who will intrigue you with some of the things that they have been involved in and have um, ideas to share with you. That is the case on our program today. In the first hour of our program, I'm pleased to say that we are joined by a gentleman who has quite the background. Dominic Melillo is joining us in this first hour of our program. Dominic is an author of a number of books, including the titles of Season of the Swords, Sword of the Grey Champion. He has conducted extensive research on swords for his uh, popular Swords of Valor series. He is a huge Game of Thrones fan. There are a lot of those around. Um, He has a background where faith has been a huge part of his life. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about in the course of our discussion today. Because in his background, he also has been involved with a prison ministry. And that's part of what I want to talk with you about. First of all, Dominic, good morning. Welcome to our program here on The Fan. Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm doing extremely well. I hope you are, too. I am. Thank you. You know, I mentioned in your background about the work that you've done in the area of um, writing. What motivates you in writing? I just had this conversation with a, uh, a friend uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, well, I don't write anything that I, does, I don't feel has, that adds value to, uh, to someone's life, to the world, um, to, the commu- to, the, you know, to the community in general. Uh, and it's not that I'm, I'm doing preaching. It's not that I'm trying to um, indoctrinate people with my writing. But, you know, my background, uh, my faith, my upbringing informs my writing. And therefore, uh, it's kind of, I, I can't help but, uh, you know, use those values uh, in the writing and kind of have my writing uh, try to instill a different perspective uh, in the reader. You know, in mentioning about your faith being a big part of your life, you, as I understand grew up Catholic, you attended Catholic grammar school, um, mm-hmm. high school, 
you ultimately went to college at Villanova, is that right? That's correct, yes. What was your experience um, growing up with such a, a strong, I guess, faith influence? Um, yeah, so, you know, my parents, my parents, uh, I was born in, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, actually, to uh, parents who were um, first generation. You know, both of their, uh, their sets of parents had, uh, were immigrants. Um, my father's parents came from Italy. My grandmother's uh, uh, parents came from, yeah, my grandparents were uh, from my mother's side were from Scotland. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a very interesting perspective on the world, right? Everything was very, uh, a very strict up, up, upbringing. Um, requirements and uh, but their their faith was very important to them. Um, so when we moved to Long Island, uh, you know they weren't weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, scraping by, uh, but they always scraped up enough money for all of us, for my my brother and sister and myself, to go to Catholic grammar school. We went to St. Martha's in Uniondale. Um, and I know that there are stories of. People who have had, uh, you know, horrific experiences with, uh, you know, Catholic grammar school, and most of those are exaggerated. Um, I actually really, really had a fantastic upbringing, and and, uh, and and I really enjoyed Catholic grammar school. I still have friends today, as a matter of fact. In, front, in, front, in fact, I have a friend, a buddy of mine, um, Bert Flieger, who um, who has also written a book, and we talk about it all the time. It's a it's a great book called The Wonder Year uh, about growing up in Uniondale and growing up in 1969 and all of the things that happened. And I read that book recently again, and it just reminded me how much fun we had growing up on Long Island and going to Catholic grammar school. Um, one of the things, one of the most memorable experiences for me in growing up in Catholic grammar school was actually the uh, going to the library every day and getting to pick out a book and and listening to the librarian read to us uh, stories um, because um, it was the same thing that happened at home and it and it and it was it was kind of two, uh, two ends of the equation two bookends my uh, so I would enjoy reading at school I would get to pick out a favorite book the librarian would help us. And then at home, my dad read to us all the time. Um, he read to us um, many times from a, an old high school anthology book that he had, which had wonderful poetry in it. And he was a really a, a, a lover of poetry. Uh, and he would read it to us. And that started all you know, my interest in literature and uh, poetry and writing. Um, but it, it, it also kind of was the flames were stoked by the uh, Mrs. Schneller, the librarian at St. Martha's Grammar School. <laughs> you know, as as you're saying that, I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking to myself, you're mentioning a concept that I mention in college classes that I teach. One of my jobs outside of here is as a yep. college professor. Yep. And I talk in classes about this concept of, and you know, some of the people listening to us, I'm going to say, bear with me as I describe this. The concept was actually where you went to 
a physical location, this building known as a library, <laughs> and you went there to read books, you went there to research, you know, you physically went to the... I mean, I say this in front of students today, and they look at me like, whoa, you know, why, why would you do that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And, and I always think you're missing out on some of that experience that was just so rich. And yes, those were very often times where you got that inspiration to get that book, especially this time of the year, you know, when school is off, mm-hmm. to actually pick up a book during the summer and start reading and to get into a situation where you're transformed, you're completely absorbed by another world. That's the fascination of reading. Yes, it is. Um, and it was a safe place. Exactly. Um, we would go, like, just like you said, we, w- we would go, <clears throat> we'd ride our bikes to the library in the summer when we weren't playing baseball or something else. Mm-hmm. But um, during the middle of the day, sometimes it was hot, we'd just go to the library. And it was a safe place to sit down in the aisle. You could pick a book off the shelf and you could sit down and you could take your time to explore which book you wanted to read. And in doing that, you would look at numbers and numbers of books and you'd get a little feel for each one of them. <coughs> and I would read anything <coughs> from um, certainly anything sports related. But then I started to uh, move along the curve and, and after, um, you know, especially in 1967, 68, 69, when uh, you know, we had all the space exploration going on. I became very interested in science and space and archaeology and uh, and that sort of stuff. And you know, <laughs> I would read books about that. And um, and then, so you know what that does? It kind of builds your base of of interests, and it builds a foundation uh, which you're not even aware of um, that allows it really kind of it is the foundation for creativity in the future. It's really interesting. In terms of literary influences for you, who stands out? Um, well, you know, for me, uh, I mean, I can, I can, I can give you a, a, a nice list here. Um, it starts out with some poets because, again, my father had a love of poetry, and he would read to us poems of uh, Edwin Arlington Robinson and Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, you know, those are all the poets. And I've written a couple of books of poetry, and they're very similar to these old, I wouldn't call them old masters, but these older, not early 19th, uh, 20th century poets. Um, and they were, uh, you know, I just loved the, the rhyme and the meter and the, the accessibility of their poetry. And it's... <laughs> A lot of these poets and and the poems that are my favorite from them also carry messages. That's what my father would do. He would not just read us a poem and then be done with it and say, wasn't that beautiful? He would dissect it for us as we sat there with him in the living room and tell, you know, ask us, what do you think it meant? And and, and what about this image? And, uh, you know, we could actually feel the emotion from him as he would do that. Um, beyond that, you know, I, over the years, I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis, you know, the Narnia books, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, fantastic, mm-hmm. um, Chesterton, um, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, 
and all of those stories. Um, Dante, Alighieri, you know, the um, Divine Comedy, I've read that and I've enjoyed that, and that's been a big part of uh, my, my creativity. But then my mother was a big reader. Uh, and that was, that was a, and again, that was a wonderful thing that uh, I personally shared with her is that we would share books. She would actually read books that I would give her, and I read, I would always read anything she read, I'd read it right after she read it. Okay, Dominic, hold that thought. So what we're going to do is take a pause in our discussion, come back, talk more with you. I'll also mention the fact, folks listening to us, yeah, you can join the conversation if you want to. Maybe we struck a chord here, some of the other things we're going to get into in the course of this hour. 877-337-6666 is our number. Radio.com. We're in discussion with Dominic Melillo this first hour of our program on the fan. And uh, Dominic, before we paused for update and messages, I uh, had actually interrupted you at a point when you were talking about basically how reading was an impact or an influence in your relationship with your mother. Would you pick up on that? Sure, absolutely. So she was a, an avid reader and um, a very faithful woman. Uh, one of her favorite authors was a, an author named Taylor Caldwell. Um, used to be very popular in the 70s and the 80s and even a little bit into the 90s. Uh, you don't hear much about her any longer. She's obviously no longer around that longer writing. But um, my mother would read everything she wrote, and then she would give it to me, and I would, I would read it. Um, one of the, two, a few of the, uh, the favorites uh, that I recall that were very influential to me was the first one was called Dear and Glorious Physician. And it was uh, a fictionalized uh, account of the life of... Uh, St. Luke, um, uh, him being a physician, and uh, you know it, it had so much historical detail that it just drew you into that time frame. Um, and you know, while you're reading it, you were you were you were kind of experiencing things with him. Uh, and you know, it would again as a fictionalized version, it would it would include some speculative aspects to his life. You know, did he ever? actually meet and have a conversation with uh, Mary, the Blessed Mother? Did he, you know, and, and what would that conversation have been like? Um, the, uh, so, you know, that's just kind of an example of uh, sparking this kind of uh, his interest in historical fiction and speculative uh, and, and kind of melding them together. Another important one that I read uh, that she gave me was called Pillar of Iron. And it was about the life of Cicero. And again, a, a, a historical, historically based, a lot of historical fact with some fiction built in. But with Cicero, you don't have to do a lot of fiction. His life is <laughs> extremely interesting anyway. Uh, but to understand from that book the foundation of virtue and its role that it plays in a, in a, in a civilization and a republic was incredibly important to me. It was it was really a very impactful. Um, so from that point on, I would I went on and I learned more about Cicero and his his writings and his and his philosophy. And again, wasn't a perfect man, but an incredibly um, uh, had a lot of virtue and a lot of valor. And his life exemplified that. And that's why he's a big part of uh, at least at, in, in the, the second book, certainly in my series. But, um, you know, kind of plays a role in some of the other stuff, too. In introducing you, beginning of our program, 
I mentioned the fact that you were involved with a prison ministry for, I believe it was for about a 10-year period. How did that come about? Um, it came about because I um, <clears throat> was uh, going, I, I live in North Carolina now, and uh, the church we were attending uh, had a prison ministry uh, when we first started attending the church. I didn't know much about it, um, uh, but there was a fellow who was a very, um, had, had, a, had an incredible story to tell, about a, a, a testimony about his life. You know, had been uh, a rough guy, built, you know, involved in drugs and alcohol and um, all of that, and uh, he turned his life around. Uh, and one of the ways he was giving back was by going to the, the prison uh, and witnessing and, and, and working and mentoring with the men. Um, and just honestly, out of the blue, he came up to me. I didn't know him very well. And he just told me, Dominic, you should do this. The men would respect you. The men would listen to you. And I need help. And I was, I was kind of taken back, but I, was, I trusted him. I liked him. I was like, okay, let's do it. So um, Mike brought me to the prison uh, on Fridays, Friday nights, and uh, initially I would just sit in, at his table and listen to how he interacted with the men. Um, and then one day he just said, Dominic, it's time for you to do it on your own. Next, next Friday we're coming and you'll have your own table and you start your own group. And, and that's, uh, that's how I did it. I did it in concert with uh, a church, but I had a, I had a mentor. I had a, uh, someone who... Uh, saw that it was something that um, I was capable of doing. Heading into going it alone, doing that, what were you expecting? Um, I was expecting initially to um, that nobody would show up at my table, that the <laughs> men wouldn't choose to come and listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the case. Because there's always, you know, in the prison, there's always new people coming in um, and people who want to explore uh, what, what options there are. Um, so on Friday nights, they would open up the cafeteria. There'd be an announcement in the, uh, in the yard that uh, Bible study was taking place. Uh, anyone who wanted to attend, you know, to, show, to go to the cafeteria. People would show up. They'd see an empty seat. They'd sit down. You didn't know anything about each other, um, which is a really interesting place to start. You know, I'm in their environment at the moment, which you know, and they don't know me or why I'm there, but they have an expectation. So that's what you, you start out by just getting to know each other, having conversations. And then what happens over time is that that man will bring another guy uh, from the, you know, that he's met in prison that he thinks can benefit from it or who's asking. And then pretty soon you have a full table. And, it's, and they stay with you. It's really interesting. They don't have to because there's five or six other uh, you know, tables, other men doing the same thing that I was doing uh, and, and taking a different approach, maybe representing different organizations, representing different churches. Um, but um, they stay with you. And then they move along the curve. And when they're released, if they get released, um, they're gone. You know, we do stay, I do stay in touch with many of them, 
but it's uh, it's almost like they graduate. So while you're there, it's it's on top. At least it was on the top of my mind that this is probably the most stressful time that these men have ever faced. They're at their lowest point. How do you connect with someone that's in this environment, someone who's, who's, whose life is always broken as much as it is? How did you? How did you connect with them? I found that the best way to connect with these men, uh, almost universally, and I think it applies to anyone, is that you don't connect with them by telling them that, I went to Villanova University. I've uh, written books. I went to, you know, I, I, I played baseball, uh, whatever. Uh, you connect with them at your lowest point. You tell them about when you were broken. You tell them about when you failed. You tell them about um, how you've disappointed people and that you understand. And that is where you make the connection. When you tell them, look, it's just by the grace of God, I could be exactly where you are. Why I'm not where you are, I don't know. I don't know why I'm not here with you, or, you know, at, at some point in my life. But guess what? Let's go through the, you know, let's start reading about uh, some uplifting things. Let's talk about Bible verses. Let's study a little bit. You're here. They all bring they all bring their Bible with them, which is really interesting. They're in prison, and everyone that came to Bible study had a, an old worn uh, Bible. Some didn't actually, you know. So I'd give them a new one, but um, and they wanted to know more. And a lot of the themes of what we studied from the Bible had to do with, you know, I guess the concepts of virtue. Um, but virtue and pride were big topics of discussion in prison. They knew that they had either violated virtue uh, in their life, they had been taught it. There was always someone in their life who gave them the concept, and they didn't listen. They threw it away. And the other thing was how often pride caused, contributed or caused their downfall. Mm. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm also thinking, um, well, I'm thinking about a number of different things. But one of the thoughts is something that I've shared before on this program, so I'm going to mention it again. Uh, because in um, some of my work with teaching in college, I did have the experience for a couple of semesters of teaching in a couple of the prisons in New Jersey and doing classes there. One semester I actually did two classes in two different prisons, basically in two different parts of New Jersey in the same day, twice a week. Um, and the experience that I had there is one that I will never forget because that very first time that you go into the prison is there for an orientation. And just that sensation when you go in, and in this case, four heavy metal doors locked behind us automatically. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize 
whoa, this is real. And then you get into the classroom situation and you start to meet people who, yes, they're analyzing you, but they also appreciate it when you're real with them and can engage them in conversation in a way that they take something away from the experience that they didn't know when they walked in the door um, or have a better way or appreciation of looking at things. They also, to go back to what you were saying about people coming in with their Bibles, in this case they had textbooks that I had handed out the very first day of the semester. I've never, never, and I've been teaching in college for college classes mm, now for 17, almost 18 years between a couple of colleges. Never had a class of students who devoured, devoured the material from a text like these students do. You know, you walk into a typical college classroom and I'll say, eh, they may do the reading fully expecting maybe one or two people. You say that in a class in prison, 25 people answer you and then start engaging and talking about different things that they've learned, and you realize they scoured the material that was there. Mm -hmm. yep. And it gives you a, a very deep appreciation for the educational process, the learning process, and also a real appreciation for the way in which their lives are structured by being in a correctional institution, uh, yeah. too. Um, it, you know, it gives you a real different perspective on, on life itself because there's so much that we take for granted on a regular basis. And, you know, you think, and I know you've had this experience, I had the experience, too, and it blew me away the very first time. I heard it when there were people in the classroom who would say, you know, I've never held a cell phone, cell phone. I don't know what it's like to be on the internet. And you think to yourself, that's right. There are people in here who are serving 20, 30 years. Um, and that's the thing that just blew me away. Anyway, I want to talk more about this. I'm going to take another pause in our discussion talking with Dominic Melillo on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are in discussion with Dominic Melillo on our program. Uh, he has joined us in this hour of our program. We were talking about this um, whole um, prison ministry that you were involved in um, in North Carolina for about a 10-year period, as I understand. Uh, I, just a, a couple of final thoughts on this. Um, one of the things that I had read in preparation for our discussion today, and I'm not surprised by this, but I'd like you to comment on this. I believe that 
saw that you say that you believe you got more out of this than the men who were incarcerated? Mm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Um, but it's, it's the truth, and I, and I bet in some ways you can probably relate to that when Definitely. you in the work you did. A um, <clears throat> couple of things. Uh, I was always humbled by how I was, in the, I was in there to kind of do a Bible study with them. Right, so I had prepared a lesson, and I'd be ready to, uh, to 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 go through the lesson, talk about the verses, and then you know, kind of summarize for every everyone. Um, but we'd always start out with a question: Does anybody have any questions from last week's lesson? Have there Have you read anything uh, this week that you have a question about? Or would like to share with the group? Now, and uh, very often people would, uh, one of the men would would bring up a question or or talk about a verse that they had read during the week and either had a question about or had a comment. And uh, many times the, the, the rest of the lesson would be based on what came up at the beginning. The open discussions were interesting to me because so many of these men could quote the Bible um, without looking at the pages. Uh, I'm not that way. I mean, I may know where something is and have to look at it, but I, I didn't have it memorized. Many of these men did. And in many instances, they taught me, they showed me things, gave me perspective that I did not have before. Uh, every time I went into that prison, I, I went in with uh, the uh, expectation, I'm going to learn something tonight. And when I walked out through those uh, prison gates, you know, with the barbed wire and the multiple uh, security levels, uh, I, I was thankful. I was, my, I was uplifted because I always walked away getting a new perspective, learning something that I would actually probably share. Uh, I was a Sunday school teacher at, uh, at, at, at also, um, and I would end up sharing what I learned in prison uh, on Sunday, you know, at su- Sunday school to the adult Sunday school class. Um, but yes, the perspectives came from so many different angles, and so many people had grown up um, being taught and, and learning, and, and they gave their perspective to me, uh, and that was a huge gift, huge gift. I also walked away every time with uh, appreciation for the small things. Uh, the appreciation of freedom and liberty, you know, being able to freely walk through those gates, come and go. Uh, the men didn't have that option. Um, they valued it, I, I valued it, and um, you know, I just gained a huge appreciation. Um, for the small things. You know, you can influence people's lives in many different ways. Um, one of the questions that I was asked, and I at times still am asked this question, it's been several years since I was blessed enough to be teaching in um, prisons. I'm often asked the question, when you went there for the first time, were you scared? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't scared, no, because I was with I were I was with um, men who had been there before, so um, kept my mouth quiet, kept my hands in my pockets, uh, didn't do anything I wasn't told to do, um, and then and then just observed. So I wasn't I wasn't afraid. I wasn't scared, but I was uh, on alert. 
uh, in that I didn't want to do anything that was wrong. And like you, you mentioned, Bob, there's a whole orientation process you go through. Oh, yeah. You know, that, <laughs> that, 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 that where they tell you the do's and the don'ts and what to expect. Um, and, you know, I found, that, you know, that they, 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 they overblow it a little bit uh, just to make sure that, you know, you're, on, you're aware. Um, oh gosh, I mean, I still, a lot of these men that I, uh, that I worked with, that I met in prison, I am still in contact with today when they're out. I enjoy our relationship uh, very much. I, I'd call them friends, honestly, absolutely, without equivocation. There are four or five men um, over the years that I'm still friends with, stay in contact with. It's amazing. I really, it, it's, it's one of the most blessed experiences I've ever had in my life. Well, at the table that you talked about earlier, there wasn't a situation where anybody could hide, now was there? Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, so everything is out in the open. Sure, that was that was a main. Uh, it was a rule, right? That was a, a rule that um, if you're going to be here, you got to be truthful. But more than truthful and more than honest, you have to be transparent. Which means. Uh, in my in my definition, transparency is different than honesty. Honesty is I ask you something, you tell me the truth. Uh, transparency, uh, especially in that environment, was um, I don't even have to ask, and you tell me the truth. Meaning, it you just it just is, it's there. So you got to be transparent, and that's the only way you can get to the core, the heart of the matter, and that's the only way the trust gets built in that environment is if everybody knows the truth about everybody else. And so that's, it has to be the same for me. So, um, yeah, absolutely, there's no hiding, there's no honesty, there's no um, dishonesty going on. You have to be uh, able, if your contribution is going to add value, it has to be truthful, honest, and you have to be transparent. Absolutely, that's true, Bob. All right, let's go full circle, because at the very beginning of this discussion, I mentioned the fact, um, Dominic, that... You're an author, um, and you had done research on swords. Now, this was for the Swords of Valor series, is that right? <clears throat> That's correct. The, um, the trilogy that I've I, I, I I written, um, is um, the, the, the larger title is the Swords of Valor trilogy, book one, book two, book three. Mm-hmm. Season of the Swords is the first book, Sword of the Great Champion is the second book, and Sword Above All uh, is the third book and the final in that trilogy, which just came out. And they, uh, um, I did, uh, yeah, I did research on specific swords because this the, the series is a, um, is a is a genre that I I like to call family based historical fiction, right? So, um, and it's one I think I invented. Um, it involves swords because a lot. Of, it's funny. A lot of the swords and a lot of the a lot of the poems and a lot of the stories that my dad told us, and you can tell in some of the, in the books that I read, um, swords were an integral part of it. So I became interested in that. Now it's a big Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur and Knights of the Round Table fan too. Read a lot of that. So um, swords uh, were a natural part of the storyline for me. Um, but it also started because I would give, I actually would give swords to my nephews when they turned 16. And with that, I would write them a letter telling them about their, what I saw as their virtues, their character, 
and what I expected of them in the future. And I would give them a sword that was based on a historical sword, a replica. Um, I'd give, if there was leadership involved, I'd give Excalibur. If there was wisdom that I saw in them, intelligence, uh, uh, I would give uh, the sword of Solomon. You know, if there was bravery, I'd give the sword of uh, William Wallace. And you can buy these swords. They're, you know, there's a company in Spain called Mardo, which makes these beautiful, beautiful high-end replicas of historical swords. So I would give them those swords. And they all have them to this day. So that's kind of the basis. I built the story around that. In my storyline, the grandfather uh, does that. He gives swords to his grandchildren when they turn 12. Um, and they think they're just replica swords. The truth of the matter is that they're not. They're the actual real swords of valor that their grandfather's is, is um, assigned to protect. Uh, there's ten, ten swords of valor, um, and some of them have been stolen. They've got to go out and find them. Uh, they've got to go out and uh, uh, back in, in time and recover these swords. So anyway, that's how it starts. So the books are really kind of uh, family, because every character in this book is a member of my actual family. And I built this alternative history for my family, which I, um, where I fantasize that, the, you know, that this is the real story, that my father was actually not just a banker, not just a mortgage guy. He was actually uh, the head of the uh, this, the uh, Guardians of the Sword of Valor. And I have this whole history that we don't know anything about that gets revealed over time. But the main themes of the book, so that's kind of what the stories are about. The main themes have to do with freedom and liberty and how those can be, uh, are, are, are absolutely dependent in a society upon virtue and valor. And that they can't, uh, and a nation, a family, a community, can, a society cannot remain free with if virtue and valor are not evident in the society or the family. So you got hooked by Game of Thrones? Well, a little bit, yes. <laughs> I mean, who, who, who didn't, right? I mean, <laughs> I had, um, you know, I really, what, what, I, what I liked about it was um, the, the sensibility behind it um, and that um, it, it reflected uh, the uh, lost values. They were always hearkening back to the days of, you know, Valerian and, and all of that. And there was a threat to society that the uh, the Night King was. They were trying to do away with the past, and so that people wouldn't remember what the past was about. Um, and certainly, the sword fights um, and uh, the swords themselves were very uh, integral to the story. So that piqued my interest. Sure, absolutely. Okay. I purposely have not asked you the following question the entire time we've been talking, and some people listening may have wondered why I hadn't. We're talking with Dominic Melillo on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning's first hour of it. question goes to that word faith that I said earlier. Faith's been a huge part of your life. How do you define faith? Um, uh, that's, uh, I, I love that question because I actually addressed it 
in detail in um, the third book of the trilogy called The Sword Above All. And in that section, uh, my mother, the grandmother in the story, fictionalized version, um, is in the clutches of uh, the, the main protagonist in the story, who is the, uh, the evil watcher, Azazel, again, a, um, who's a fallen angel, the leader of the fallen angels, and actually a biblical character. Um, and she's being held captive in the Cave of Treasures, uh, which is where Adam and Eve were and lived after they were expelled from Eden. Um, and she's having a discussion about faith. Actually, the chapter is called Catherine's Faith. Um, and, of course, um, what um, Azazel says to her, if we have time, I'll just read it to you. Faith, says Azazel derisively as he suddenly descended into the cave. Faith is merely a self-delusion, my dear, using words and sentiments to create an emotional sleight of hand founded on irrational notions. Faith is trying to force reality to submit to wishes. It is simply trying to create truth from a lie. Um, Catherine uh, argues with that, and she says, Faith is a gift of God which can neither be given nor take away, taken away by promise of rewards or threat of torture. Um, so faith is believing in something you can't see. Faith is believing in something that you cannot. Or it's not believing, it's knowing. It's been having a knowledge of and uh, an understanding of something that you cannot physically see or touch, but that you know is true or real. And it is a gift from God. It is not something you can manufacture on your own. And that's, that's my belief of what faith is. I want to thank you very much for being kind with your time, sharing your thoughts with us in uh, this discussion. I know your words have touched some of the folks listening to us as well. Dominic Melillo talking with us on our program on the fan, the author of the popular books in the Swords of Valor's trilogy, and he's um, joined us on our program. Certainly the best with your writing and with your work. And again, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful discussion. We're going to shift into another area of discussion with the guest who is going to join us from the National Council on Disability. That's in our 7 o'clock hour this Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.